Hello and welcome to this mini bonus episode featuring Dan Bryan. We had so much to ask him that we couldn't fit everything into our main episode. So here is the rest of our conversation for you to enjoy. That every single one of them, no matter who they are, has a contribution to make at any given time. So it's all connected um, when you're all kind of in it in it together. So that's been pleasing to see so far. I mean, I I particularly love that because yes, you might have a, a starting seven, but actually the players that are on your bench are just as important as those starting seven. And it, there's no emphasis really in a way put on those starting seven because if something happens like we've had with your game against Mavericks and they have to step up they they are taking that space so they are equally as important as everyone else whether they're a starting player or not I I I love that I love that philosophy yeah I think it is important that you know any good team culture is and a level playing field for everybody and everybody has to have a voice and make a contribution. So one of the things too with my leadership is I've become really quite um, active in delegating a lot to the players to make sure that they understand that they own this team. Like I said before, it's not my team. It's not the captain's team. It's everybody's team. And if you can have a space where the youngest player in the group has a voice and can speak up and offer some input or an opinion or a suggestion, as well as the oldest, most established player, then you kind of got the mechanics of the dynamics working as it should. Um, And that's what we've got here. And I I think that's, that's really important. And it doesn't just happen. You have to provide the environment and the, the platform for that stuff to take place and also empower the players to have a voice and contribute. Um, because I always say to them as well is that while I will lead you to where I want us to go, you guys will drive it. And so whatever we achieve ultimately is because of the hard work you've put in. I'll hold your hand to a certain extent and I'll be your biggest supporter and your biggest critic. But whatever you achieve will be because of your own inner drive and your collective approach as a team. So the players have really bought into that. And for us, they had to because it was a brand new club with a blank canvas. So there was nothing to mm. build on. We were building from the ground up. So that was really big in the philosophy for me. And, and I, I love leadership and culture. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I love seeing players take control of that stuff and seeing them kind of their eyes light up when they, they, they notice the, the leadership moment or they notice someone else has shone because they've taken control of something. That, that's what we're getting a real kick out of. Um, and I, I love seeing that in the players. It, it's, it's really fulfilling. And so one of the things there that stuck out to me was that idea of being a role model for the players of how you react is kind of how they react. What do you think is it that gets in the way of coaches doing that? So that's obviously quite a, you know, you would think that's a fairly straightforward philosophy. You want to be a role model. You want players to have good communication, but why, so why isn't everyone doing it? What gets in the way? Well, I think it comes with experiences, to be honest. And I think there was probably a time in my career where I would wear my heart on my sleeve and my emotions on my sleeve and everyone could tell whether I was stressed, comfortable, passionate, whatever it might be. Um, And I have a crazy left eyebrow that often sits at the top of my (laughs) forehead when um, people think it's when I'm stressed, but actually when I'm focused and really kind of in the moment. But I think, you know, coaches need to be aware of their body language. They need to be aware of their verbal language and the way that they're communicating. Uh, All of those things actually matter. And I think unless you are mindful of those things or have that level of self-awareness, which is all a part about developing as a coach. And there were times where I probably didn't really understand those things. But as my career has gone on and, you know, I've had some really tough experiences as a coach, 
but through those tough experiences where I've had my greatest growth and my greatest development and my biggest learnings that, that now I'm actually really in tune with that stuff. So if I radiate a level of positivity or composure or passion to the group, you really need to read the room to see how it's going to connect with the players. And I think one thing that we're capturing at the moment is our training sessions are really intense. They're really task focused, orientated around the process of what we want to do when we play the game. And then our match day experience is about enjoying playing the game. We've done all the work. We're ready. I'm not going to hammer you with, we must do this. We must do that because you know it. And if you don't know it now, you're not going to know it right now. Mm. So Mm. in capturing that is really critical. Um, But I think that comes from experience, to be honest, and all coaches will do things differently. Um, But I know for me that, you know, my emotional intelligence and my self-awareness has grown out of sight over the past couple of years. Um, and I'm really passionate when I coach around, like the reason I love coaching is the human element. It's human being working with human being. And we're both working towards the same thing. We have different roles. My job is to get the best out of you. And if I say the right word, it might have the right impact. If I leave you alone, it might have the right impact. If I make you laugh, it might just relax you to that point where you play your best netball. So just figuring out all those things is fascinating. And I love that stuff. Um, and it, it is quite important when I have a very young, impressionable group because there was a time when we were training where I would say, all right, we want to try and do this. And they'd, they'd take the language so black and white and they'd only do that thing. <laughs> However, as we know, when we coach, an instruction is like a roadmap. You can go a number of different ways. Mm. Um, and so we've learned that about each other as we've evolved. Um, but that, that's, that's the beauty around dynamics. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm really passionate about in the way that I coach. But to capture it, it, it does come from experience and it does come from a willingness to really self-reflect and evaluate your own self as a coach um, because you, you are a reflection of your team quite often. And your behavior will be reflected into your players and it will be taken in however those players seep in that information or that energy that you give them. So it is an important thing to be conscious of. There was, it's quite interesting when I reflect back onto my recruitment strategy with, with this inaugural team is, is one thing that I really wanted to achieve with it was for it to be a platform for players that perhaps had not broken through previously or had had a taste of Super League or England underage and then perhaps maybe being discarded a bit too early mm. and to give them a chance in an environment that was going to embrace them for who they were and to see what kind of an impact that could have on their own self-worth, self-awareness, confidence, behaviour. And I've really enjoyed that process because I think that's been highlighted in some of the players that have really shone for us in, in, the, in the early stages is those players that, you know, in the under 21 or under 17 level were earmarked as the next generation stars and never really took off and you just see the impact that you know the rear dixons the brig greasons mm. like mm. i'm getting such a kick out of seeing those those girls love playing but their improvement and their development and their own personal growth has been amazing that that's one of the things we wanted to achieve at leeds runners was can this be a platform for these players to finally smash the glass ceiling and establish themselves. And, you know, regardless of results and whatever happens throughout the year, I think we're certainly going to achieve that with a couple of those athletes, which, which is really important because they're good enough. Um, and it's great to see their talent on display and people actually going, wow, these girls can play the game. So um, that that's been awesome to see, to be honest. Mm. 
So when you're building a new squad like you have with Rhinos, there's obviously a lot to think about, as you've mentioned, with balancing player dynamics, as well as ensuring that you've actually got the coverage across the various skills and positions that you need on court. How much of your selection process is around building a group of players who work well in terms of personalities, as well as their on-court ability? Because like you say, it's not you don't want to recruit a team of stars because I think it's like the magpie effect. They doesn't necessarily translate to a great team. So yeah, how much emphasis is put on identifying personalities that will work well together? Yeah, quite a lot, to be honest. And I think, you know, recruitment was difficult because, you know, we did have to start recruiting a little bit later than every other club. And I guess being a franchise that had no signed players, our backs were against the wall in terms of, you know, access to whatever talent was out there, I guess. It was very difficult to know which way it was going to go. However, I was really clear that we did need to have some homegrown talent in there to to really ensure that the team had a strong Yorkshire identity, being a Yorkshire-based franchise. So Mm. that's why the likes of the Brie Greesons and the Rosie Harris and Emily Hollingworth were were really quickly to, to come into my mix to give the team, I guess, some earth, you know, where the team was born, I guess. Um, And then it was about ensuring that we did have the senior leadership and the reliability and the stability of the Jade Clarks and and those types of players, the fee toners that really understand high performance. They know how to perform consistently week to week that would give us that steadiness throughout the court. Mm. And then obviously, you know, we needed key position players like the goal shooters and all that kind of thing too. So, you know, the Danelle Wallum who was, Mm. again, a lot of people didn't know much about her, but I kind of had, you know, a fair idea as to what she was up to over the past couple of years and was keeping a close eye on her that you do need to build your team around a target goal shooter perhaps. So, and then obviously Maddie Brown came into the mix too quite early on that we thought, well, we can create something really special around her. <laughs> and then it was really all around the emerging talent for me because I want the team regardless of who the coach is or how long the players stay for or whatever, to have a core group of players that are sustainable. So that's why we went with a lot of players in their early 20s that, like I said, the Breeze, the Rears, the Roses, that have all kind of had a taste before but never really broken through mm-hmm. and build the team around that with some senior players plotted into different areas. But even like a Vicky Oasola, who's probably one of our more senior established players, she's only 23 and she's an absolute mm-hmm. weapon. So seeing her take the step in her career from being the young kid at Loughborough to now being the senior defensive player here in our lineup and being so critical in the style of netball that we play, it's an opportunity for her to step up and take the next level. So that's kind of how we look to do it. And a lot of them actually had known each other for a long time, but never really played on court with each other. So a lot of them had played at different franchises, been bench players in other parts or through the England under pathway system. And there was a lot of formed friendships. So that makes a massive difference. And because there's there's a netball house of five of them that live together and they've really embraced each other that have moved from all over the country. Um, But I think also what's complemented that is that I've been really clear with the players around, like I touched on before, is you've all got a role to play. And I want you to play to your strengths, play to what you do really well. And we will mold that into a team style that embraces all of us. There may be parts of your game that you need to sacrifice for the greater good of the team, but we'll create some things that actually bring out your strengths. And that's kind of the project that we were working on from the start. Obviously, we then had to re-navigate that when we lost three of the key players to injuries, where we now just kind of make some structural changes and theme changes to what we're doing. But it's it's all around 
them as the individual and how they buy into it. Um, and, and that's critical, but they're certainly forming great friendships and they're playing like they actually genuinely care about each other, which is mm. the most important thing. You touched on it a little bit there, but talking about personalities and kind of harking back to what you said previously in terms of the coach-player relationship. I'm not sure if you remember, but there was an incident in the SSN a while back between Kelsey Brown and Rob Wright, where she said that a lot of the critiques he was giving at halftime were quite negative, And she asked him for some positive feedback. And in essence, he kind of said, I'll start doing something positive and then I'll give you some positive feedback. And then he also then asked for a bit less attitude from her. And putting that into context as well, something that always really sticks out for me is that she had just come back from missing out on the gold at World Cup. And she was clearly in that moment looking for something that was a bit different to maybe the usual coaching style that he would use. So how as a coach can you get to know your players and learn what they individually need and how they respond to feedback, who needs tough love, who needs comfort and the right times to use those different techniques? Yeah, that's a really important one because a coaching style is not one size fits all. And I think if you are a coach that thinks that is the method, it's a little bit gone of the days gone by type of thing. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about you know, different generations of people that actually, you know, they give and take feedback differently. They communicate differently. They have different wants and needs. And again, it depends on the coach's desire to understand the human element. And I'm obviously fascinated. I'm fascinated by human beings. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love seeing people thrive, what they're like when they're on survival mode, how they handle pressure, all those types of things. And actually helping them become really self-aware of what they're like in those moments is critical. And I think the reality is that, you know, in every team, the coach should be coaching every single player slightly different based on what that player needs. It's not what you need as the coach. It's what's going to get the best out of the player. Therefore, is it tough love, direct feedback? Is that what they respond to best? If so, fantastic. But you may have the player that sits directly next to them on the bench that actually needs an arm around them, a pat on the back, and more of a conversation rather than brutal honesty between the eyes. And Mm. being prepared as a coach to alter that delivery style is the difference, I guess, between good coaching and great coaching is how well can you connect and engage and what you say matters when you say it matters because there are times too where no coaching is good coaching and just leaving a player alone and not Mm -hmm. saying anything that's actually actually coaching Mm -hmm. and quite often we can see coaches just talk and say stuff and say more stuff and you know even the whole skill of information gathering like how much you say to your players how much are they actually registering how much are they actually understanding what you're saying because if you have said more than two or three pieces of information i guarantee you they've forgotten the rest <laughs> so that that's really critical but again that that's a trained skill in coaching and that that's a that's a deep level of awareness and i guess the art of communication which is critical and i guess in that instance there between rob and kelsey is you had a very fatigued and fractured athlete that was desperate for an arm around her and a coach Mm. that I guess was impatient just wanting a performance to be of standard of what he was expecting so there was a difference between the two there and it does work two ways there's always you know a part of the coach that needs to buy into the athlete and the athlete that needs to buy into the coach because you know, you can be direct to a player that is underperforming and their level of underperformance is impacting the players around them. So they do need to be held accountable for that. But I guess the art, the, the, the main skill is, well, yes, they're underperforming, but as the coach, 
if you're trusting them to play that position, how can you get the best out of them? So um, that's fascinating. That, that, that's the human element of coaching, which is the fun stuff. And it's not easy um, and it's very difficult to get right. And it takes a huge amount of time and investment to understand your people. But I think if you do understand your people, you have a greater chance of impacting positively, um, which ideally then impacts performance and results in the end. The Leeds Rhinos establishment has been around for a long, long time. Um, we know it was founded in 1870, but of course it only branched out to netball in 2019 when you were accepted into the Super League for a 2021 entry. Do you feel that there's additional pressure on you as a coach to prove what Rhinos are all about because you don't have that history within the netball side of the club to sort of show who you are and, and speak for you to a certain extent? Because you are literally right in their history as we speak. So how important is that concept of legacy? Oh, look, I think it's really important, but we certainly don't feel any pressure. We more feel the pride of being a part of history. And I think that's what's been quite clear and I guess our communications a team together is that we're so proud and honoured to be the first ever Leeds Rhinos netball team. So for me to be the first ever coach, I take great responsibility and pride and I'm incredibly humbled by that opportunity and all the players that get their official player numbers to step foot on court to represent the first ever Leeds Rhinos netball team. It's a slice of history that no one can ever take away, regardless of what happens this year, next year, 10 years down the track. We're a part of the club's history. And I think that's why the first day for us was so special is that, you know, we got presented, the girls got presented their dresses at the stadium by Gary, Gary Hetherington, the CEO. We went and played our first official game. We won. And like we had all the rugby players, all the people in the club watching the game, getting around it, like they were fully embracing mm. that netball is a part of the club, which is amazing. And so we're not feeling any pressure whatsoever because, again, pressure is how you see it, isn't it? Like we just see this as a great opportunity to be a part of history and we love it and we love to play the game. So, And I love to coach the game and I've made a conscious effort this year to just sit on the sideline and enjoy coaching. doesn't matter if we win or lose, just enjoy coaching. Um, and the players have done the same thing. You know, there's so many people out there at the moment that are stuck at home in lockdown that can't do the things they love. And we're in a position where we can. So our responsibility or the mm. only pressure that we should be feeling is to demonstrate a genuine enjoyment for what we're able to do. And so pressure's how you see it. There's no pressure on us in any regard. And we're incredibly humbled to be a part of Leeds Rhinos because they're a brilliant sporting organization. That's why I wanted to join it, to be honest. And you know, their philosophy too is far bigger than sport. It's, it's about changing lives through sport. It's about community. It's about, uh, you know, encapsulating everyone in, in the, the Yorkshire region. It's about families. And, you know, that's the stuff we love because, you know, netball's just a game and, you know, we're lucky to play it. But it's, um, it's only a small portion of, of what, I guess, sport can do for the people that, that we're doing it for. So, mm. No pressure, just enjoyment and just pride in being a part of it. So um, hopefully it's the start of a really long, rich history of the club. Um, you know, Leeds Rhinos understand sport. They know winning and losing is the stuff that happens. They know there's highs and lows. They know there's peaks and troughs. It's all part of it. Um, and the netball, the netball entity will experience the exact same stuff throughout its history. So uh, we're just proud that we can be the first ones to kick it off. And, and our biggest hope is that we lay the foundations for the generations to come. And if we can do that, regardless of ladder rankings or end results or positions, um, we've done our service in that first year. 
And obviously having a new team in the league now means that we've got 11 in the Super League. How do you feel about that? And is there anything you would change going forward? Uh, it was always an interesting one when 11 teams come in. A lot of people were concerned around perhaps the, the depth of talent across the country and was it going to, going to be spread too thin? Um, I think we're definitely seeing in the early stages of the Super League perhaps a little bit of a split in in some of the teams. However, it's still very early days and I'm sure you know some of the teams that have struggled early on will find their gears over the next couple of weeks. That's just basically how it's going to go. Because remembering too, the pre-season period for everyone was incredibly disjointed. So we can't expect all teams to be firing in the early stages. So some teams I think that might be a little bit off the pace at the moment may come good as as the rounds tick on. I certainly would love to see the import rule open up to three per team. I think there's a real space for English netball in particular or the UK league to capture more country, more athletes in the countries outside of the top nations that are obviously mostly playing in Australia and New Zealand. I think more African athletes, more Caribbean athletes, even some from the Asian countries as well, might be well suited to come and play in the Super League. And I know a lot of it has to do with the home office and restrictions around number of visas, but perhaps to enhance the quality across the board, one extra international standard player may may be the fix there. Um, and just to add to, you know, to more of the diversity across the league as well, I think when you see a, a, team, a league that has players from all over the world and all over the UK, I think it's amazing. And that's one of the appeals of Suncorp Super Netball. I know a lot of people question the imports, but it's the best of the best. And so mm-hmm. if we can provide a platform for some of maybe the next generation international imports or superstars of the game that perhaps are going a little bit unnoticed or underneath the radar at the moment, I think it's only great for world netball. And the, the country, I've always been a big believer, the countries, Australia, New Zealand, England, that are well-resourced and well-funded, we have an obligation to the rest of the world to grow the world game. And to do that, we need to provide a platform and opportunities. And I think Suncorp do a great job. New Zealand are a little bit more exclusive at the moment. They've, they seem to be very New Zealand orientated, which is absolutely fine. It's, it's, it's perhaps part of their model moving forward. But there are some great imports over there as well maybe we can be a bit more of a diverse league that caters for a few more of those countries as well. So, um, cause there's definitely players outside the top 12 countries that would be worthy of having a crack at super league and, and adding something different. So that would probably be one thing that I would, I would like to see changed in the future. Linking with what you were saying before we started our recording about the central venue and how you think that will work. Do you think that's a viable prospect moving forward to keep that home one central venue rather than the home and away system? Yeah, this has been a really interesting one. And I think what I'm seeing at the moment with the league is unprecedented media coverage and unprecedented quality in broadcast and the interest has been amazing. The build-up to round one and the, the amount of media that I was doing through the Yorkshire region, et cetera, and all the other franchises, it would be like coaching in Australia again. Like I was absolutely blown away by the demand, which is a huge positive. And to actually for the first time as a coach, as a player, as a fan, to be able to watch every single game live if you want to and on repeat if you want to is absolutely incredible. If we in the future go back to the old model of one or two games on Sky and the rest on Twitter, we have absolutely missed an opportunity to commercialise and professionalise our league over here. And 
my vision or what I think we need to do, and again, this isn't everyone's opinion and some people certainly won't agree with it, but I actually think here in the UK there aren't enough adequate facilities to have a home and away season that actually will see the league grow as it should. We're not playing in, you know, we're still playing in sports halls that have 100 different lines over the court. We're we're playing in little university dungeons that certainly aren't promoting a product of professionalism and slick branding and commercialisation where the product that England Netball are putting out at the moment in this central venue, it is amazing. And the atmosphere, even though there's no crowd, you are so geared up before the start of the game because of the theatrics and the drama and the presentation. It's amazing. I actually think that the way to go moving forward is to have a huge arena roadshow around the UK every single week where it might be one week we're at Manchester Arena, the next week we're at Birmingham Arena, the next week we're at the O2 Arena and we go all around the UK in these huge arenas where all 10 or 11 teams are there for double headers or single headers, whatever it might be and you get 10,000 people or so, whatever it might be, to every round, split the cost among the franchises and then maybe the franchises commercialise travelling fans in coaches of the game. So it's we're travelling the country with the team. But I just think the reality will be the only way that, you know, realistically Sky will continue this level of coverage is if it's in a central venue. And I understand there'll be a lot of resistance from franchises that want to play in their home venues because ticket revenue is huge for the revenue that comes in to actually run the franchise. However, that's where we need to turn our franchises into really lucrative businesses and commercialise the franchise space. Um, But we're not going to commercialise our game with one game a week on TV and having to follow the rest on Twitter. What we're seeing at the moment is one step into uncharted waters, which is awesome. And now we need to make sure that all the franchises, all the stakeholders in England Netball and the Super League are all willing to continue to be bold to actually keep moving this sport forward. Because we're coming very, very quickly into this professional space that if we pull back in any way, we've missed the door. And so Mm. I think there's going to be some huge sacrifices that need to be made by the franchises. Um, But if we want to professionalise the game and reward our players for full-time training commitments and pay them professionally, these are the buy-offs. We we need to make sure that we can actually put in a program and play and, and venues that, you know, we can get full broadcast like we're having at the moment. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's it's really important to note, actually, that there is now proof of all of the games being on Sky. There is now proof that the demand is there. So I'm going to do a little shout out to Kelly Walker, who follows us on Twitter. She actually did a little bit of analysis of the viewing figures just a couple of days after the first round. So round one and two started on the, the 12th of Feb. By the 16th of Feb, so it's only four days later, just going to pick out a couple of the key stats. So the, the Bath Lightning game had 30,000 views within the first four days. Um, Surrey Storm v Mavs was 26,000. The Seven Stars versus Wasp, 22,000. Your game against Dragons, 25,000. What she then cleverly did was translate this into how it would fill a stadium. So 28k, as a reference point, would fill Lord's Cricket Ground in London. So This is numerical proof that the demand is there. So to take any step back now, I think would be such a a mistake to make in my eyes and would actually potentially be quite damaging for the sport. Now that we've taken that step forward to do anything other than what we are currently doing, surely that's, that's a regression. 
Oh, absolutely. And those figures too, they don't include the huge numbers in Australia that are desperate to watch it. Absolutely. So, you know, there's even another step forward to go there to actually make it accessible to the entire world, like I guess the, the Super Netball app was previously where we could all access it. So it, it does absolutely prove that the demand is there and the product, like I'm just so impressed by what it looks like on TV. It, that, that to me is what actually attracts big corporate partnerships to go, what is this? I'd love to be investing in this. And when you've actually got the entire league being followed and all the stories emerging, that's where the players become characters. The players become identities and that's where the whole professionalism can grow. So it just unearths so many uncharted waters that we've never been in before that, like you said, anything less than this now is a missed opportunity and a step backwards. And Mm. there will be a lot of resistance. I know there are a lot of franchises that want to have these home and away seasons and play in their own venues with their passionate crowds. And I get that. But if that's the way it's going to stay, we're not going to commercialise, we're not going to professionalise, so stop asking for it if you don't want to move forward with it. Yeah. So it's um, it's going to be a really interesting, I guess, six months for England Netball on this. But I, I hope they're really proud of what they've pulled off in unbelievable circumstances. Mm. Um, but the team that has worked beyond measure to get this league up and running and the quality of, of product and broadcast and the facility is amazing. All the resourcing that is there for the players, it's unbel- It's like being a little Commonwealth Games village, to be honest, or a World <laughs> Cup village. It's really, really well done. Um, but they've set the benchmark. And when you set a benchmark, you've got to keep <laughs> raising it. Like that's, that's performance. You've got to keep moving forward. So um, I cross my fingers and, you know, Leeds Rhinos is the club that's supporting it. I'm sure there are other franchises there that are supporting it. Um, but I think, you know, anyone involved in the sport now, fans, all stakeholders, they want to see the game grow. This is how we do it. Thank you so much for listening to this special bonus episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't forget to get in touch with us via social media and stay tuned for episode four coming out soon.